0: This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Overcoming great challenges like COVID-19 requires great cooperation. This is Dan Hilferty, CEO of Independence Blue Cross. Most of us never imagined we'd be facing an outbreak of this magnitude. But in the face of this challenge, hospitals, public officials, and business leaders have come together. Through effective cooperation, these leaders are taking steps to keep us safe. Slowing the rate of infection from the virus will help hospitals care for those who need attention most. Remember, stay home, leave only for essential needs. Stay informed from sources like the CDC or Department of Health. Take a break from watching the news. Stay well, exercise, and practice self care to make sure you're physically and mentally fit. In our great region, we have a tradition of caring for each other and cooperating to get things done. We'll do it again now. For more, visit ibx.com slash COVID-19. Together, we will beat COVID-19. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHD, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia, a radio.com station. From the Malamud and Associates Law Studios, it's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independent Blue Cross. That is a very, very robust, vigorous chew sneeze. That's what that is. And that's not what we're talking about. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie.
1: Welcome in on this beautiful Sunday morning to your Radio Doctor. Today our focus is on aging not just the number of birthdays but healthy aging the average life expectancy has increased from 47 years in 1900 to 79 years in 2014. now decline in function and loss of independence are inevitable but our goal as healthcare providers and as a society is to maximize both the quantity and quality of life for older adults But among older adults, there's a wide range of health status and function. So age alone should not be the sole focus for choosing interventions and treatment options. Joining us today is a very special guest, Dr. Annette Medina Walpole, the Paul H. Fine professor of medicine Chief Division of Geriatrics and Aging, and Director of the Aging Institute at the University of Rochester. She is also the President of the American Geriatric Society, a recognized national leader with a mission to improve the health, well-being, and independence of older adults, and has had a major impact on improving education on aging from medical students up to practicing physicians. Welcome, Annie. So great to have you here today. Thank you, Marianne. I am
2: just delighted to be here be with you this morning
1: well thank you from far away in rochester i hope it's not snowing there today <laughs>
2: no surprisingly it's <laughs> a such morning
1: adirondacks so let's begin how do you define geriatrics for our lay listeners
2: so marianne how we define geriatrics is if you think about the history of the word it comes from the greek word gerus meaning old age and iatricus meaning physician But I have to tell you that geriatrics is really, it's a specialty that's focused on high-quality, person-centered, and age-friendly care that we all need as we age. And there are many types of geriatric health professionals, not just physicians, that we're going to talk about. So when we think about high-quality care, what does that mean? So what we're focusing on is really improving health, independence, and quality of life for all older people. When we think about person-centered care, you hear that a lot in your health care system. That means we're putting personal values, what matters to you and your preferences and the preferences of your family at really the heart of our care decisions. The other thing that I love about geriatrics and what actually drew me to the field is it's a very holistic approach to medicine. So we take care of the whole person, and I just loved what you said about it's not just about the age. Um, I had a very wise geriatrician tell me once when you've seen one Geriatric person, you've seen one geriatric person. So everybody's an individual. And we can care for people who are much younger geriatric individuals, maybe 65, versus those that are up over, you know, centenarians over age 100.
1: Well, and I think as somebody hits 65, there's this mental awakening that says, ooh, even though I might not feel like it, I'm a senior citizen. I'm a silver girl or a silver guy. And it's all relative, and motion and all the things we're going to discuss make such a big difference in quality of life.
2: Exactly, and I think it's not realistic to think that as you age, you're not going to have any diseases. All right, As we age, diseases are more common. And so when we think about somebody who's aging healthy or successfully aging, it's a lot more than just diseases or the absence of disease. It really it makes us think about what's important, so what's central to geriatrics function, engagement, being resilient, dignity, having meaning and autonomy, in addition to trying to minimize or control the diseases that we might have. And so for this reason, really as geriatric health professionals, our expertise supports several critical areas. So we look at somebody's function and it's, it's about how they're functioning now, but it's also thinking to the future. It's thinking from the summer that we're in now to the winter, all right? So how can we prevent injury? from someone as we transition from seasons and as we age? How do we manage chronic conditions? How do we optimize the cognitive portion, which is really how you're thinking, your memory, your physical functioning, and also your mental health? And then how do we facilitate social engagement? I think we're all going through the COVID pandemic, and I really feel that the geriatric principles couldn't be more important.
1: Exactly, and I loved, we had a nice conversation the other day when you said, I am not a magician. I can't prevent aging or those little, you can't take yourself to the body shop to get new spark plugs or whatever starts to wear out. So as you say, if we're in the fall, we can plan for the winter and say, all right, if I should fall and break my hip, do I have railings in my home? Do I have rugs that I could trip on. Even now, I mean, I personally have um, bones made of potato chips. I've broken several bones because of some calcium condition I have, but I will not walk out for the mail on an icy day. I just say, no thanks. It can wait till tomorrow. And they're the kind of things that we have to be mindful of. That's what you're saying. We have this um the idea of geriatrics as, as a specialty in front of us and we should take advantage of it especially if you're going to all this effort to educate um medical students and make it part of their mantra and primary care docs and all of us to say th- these are the special considerations we have to remember exactly so, and what so- we
2: like to think about is every every geriatric encounter every encounter an older adult has in a health system should really focus on several principles, which we're going to talk about this morning. And I also think, you know, you hit on a lot of points that we're going to discuss, the things like falling. Um, we think about the future. We think about ways, and again, we're not trying to limit mobility. We're not trying to say you can absolutely never leave your home in the winter, but we're trying to be smart about it. And so when you do leave your home, we think about the appropriate footwear we think about the appropriate conditions and you might also think about exercises and things
1: that you may do that will help you if you happen to slip so you're able to sure. catch yourself or so perhaps you right. don't break and i know you've sort of talked about the role of a geriatrician who, who needs to see a geriatrician i know you said you don't necessarily have to be followed by one maybe uh, an, a consultation with a geriatrician tell us about that if you would annie
2: Right, so let's let's step back first and say who are, who are the geriatricians, all right? So when we think about geriatrics, to become a geriatric physician or a geriatrician, you need to complete medical school, and then you do a residency in either internal medicine or family medicine, and then you do a fellowship, which is usually one year. Some are extended if you're going to focus on research or other more specialty programs within our field, but then you become a certified geriatrician. So that's the physician route, but there are many other geriatric health professionals. So in addition to doctors, there's nurses, there's nurse practitioners, there's physician assistants, pharmacists, social workers, and many others who um, participate in unique training to care for the older adult as they age. And so really, who needs to see a geriatrician? Um, when we think about that, we think about age. So usually, you know, we look at age 65 and up. But obviously, even though we're training the specialty field and we're trying to train everyone in geriatrics, not everybody needs to see one. So there's no real rule. But what I think about is when an older person's condition is starting to cause considerable impairment or frailty, this is usually after the age of 65 or when someone starts managing several health conditions. Another clue might be if the person's family, friends, or other caregivers are starting to feel stressed related to their care or really worried about things that are going on with this older person's health. And then the other piece, the older adult or the caregiver having trouble following complex treatments or working with so many health professionals. Sometimes we become the provider that, that helps bring it all together, really driving the boat, and and
1: recognizing that geriatrics again is very holistic and it's very goal-based. So we mm, somebody we who looks so, Somebody who looks at the whole chessboard. Let's take a little break and we'll be back in a moment. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to Doctor at yourradiodoctor.com. And welcome back. We're speaking with Dr. Annie Medina Walpole, President of the American Geriatric Society and Director of the Aging Institute at the University of Rochester. Annie, several organizations have come together to promote age-friendly health systems. Um, Tell us about that and about the five M's. All right, so the Age-Friendly Health
2: System is an initiative of the John A. Hartford Foundation, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, in partnership with the American Hospital Association and Catholic Health Association of the United States. And really what this is, is it's a paradigm of care where older adults get the best care possible. We're trying to reduce safety incidents. We're having older adults be satisfied with their care and really optimizing value for everyone patients, families, providers, and health systems. So what does it mean? The Age-Friendly Health System focuses on four M's. And what this is, is that if in every encounter across the entire healthcare system, we ask four things. We ne- first ask what matters to the patient. Then we review medication. Then we talk about their fermentation. And then we talk about mobility. So what I'd like to do, Marianne, is explore those in a little more detail. And I'd also Perfect. like to say, that as a geriatrician, we have added the American Geriatric Society, really the fifth M, and the fifth M is multi-complexity. So we've talked about a bit about, you know, a very holistic approach to care. People are complex individuals, and as you age, you get more complex. So typically, an older adult lives with multiple chronic conditions, perhaps advanced illness, and they might have complicated Um, we call the biopsychosocial needs. So really, you know, looking at you as the whole person, how do we put all that together? Sure. So... So when we think about age-friendly care, let's start with what matters to the older adult. So what I'd like to challenge is that those listening to this uh, program can go back to their healthcare provider who may not be a geriatrician and say, you know what, I learned about an age-friendly health system and I wanna I want to talk with you about what matters to me. And what matters is not just the advanced directive form or your living will or your power of attorney that you might fill out. Mm-hmm. It's really mm-hmm. sharing its wishes What matters to you and your family and sharing that so those wishes are known. And it could be something very simple in somebody who has advanced illness. It may be that I want to be able to walk again after my hip fracture, or it may be that I want to see my granddaughter get married. But it helps us align goals of care and align a care plan that matters to you. And I think that's the most important piece if we start with that.
1: Yeah. and Or somebody say who is offered chemo or some aggressive therapy and they say, you know what, I'm feeling pretty well right now and I'd rather have the quality of life that's less painful and uh, I, I don't get sick from the therapy and maybe not attempt to prolong my life. Not that, you know, that if there are risks, I'm sure that as with any patient, we weigh the benefits and risks of every in every conversation of every therapy offered. Absolutely. And I, I think we talked about this. I never like to order a test if it's not going to change my management.
2: And so mm-hmm. sometimes that can be ordered to really help inform the situation. And and my goal is to have to help families and patients make an educated decision. And so I participate in that decision making, but what's at the heart of that decision making is what matters to that individual and their family. Absolutely.
1: So let's move on
2: to- to mentation. Does that sound okay? So when when we think about mentation, we think a lot about the brain. So with normal aging, we can see some changes. We can we can notice that we become a little more forgetful. But we know that memory loss is really not part of normal aging. So you hear a lot about dementia. We could spend an hour talking about that. But I think what's important to think about is to make sure that we are I that your doctor is identifying and perhaps treating these conditions. So if you feel that you're having some memory loss, I think it's important to ask and to talk to your provider about that. There are screening tools. If you're having trouble with your mood, if you're feeling sad or you're feeling blue, it's important to think about depression. And, or maybe it's social isolation is part of the COVID pandemic and we can brainstorm ways to help you feel more engaged and to help your mood. So again, it's it's addressing the cognition and the mentation, because that is really also the heart of who we
1: are. Well, I I think too, Annie, yeah, uh, another important point that I see with my patients is so many people... Kind of loosely use the term Alzheimer's, meaning dementia. Dementia is a generic term, as you can say better than I, that means change in mentation. Alzheimer's, the strict definition is pre senile dementia, people who become confused or lose cognitive skills before you'd expect them to. Whereas dementia has so many causes decreased blood flow because of blocked arteries, or maybe somebody's had. you know, uh, a medication or diabetes or something that, that changes or causes damage. And uh, as you say, we could spend a full hour just on that topic. And then it, mobility, it, that's, mm-hmm. sorry. So,
2: well, yeah, so I was just going to say with Alzheimer's disease, it's a type of dementia. And it's particular changes in the brain and a pattern that we look for. And so, but again, I'm going to be happy to come back and talk about dementia at some point. But I want to keep going with the M. Um, So mobility. um, Mobility is so important. So the ability, you know, sometimes we take for granted if if we're able to get up in the morning, climb out of bed, you know, walk downstairs, make our cup of coffee. But for some people, let's say you fell and you broke your hip. So the difference in being able to discharge to home from the hospital or have to go to perhaps to a nursing home to rehab is, is your ability to transfer and your ability to walk. So mobility is So very important to what we do. And we need to make sure that older adults move safely every day
1: to maintain their function and to do what matters to them. Exactly. And then your fifth M, multi complexity, means I know that uh, in the literature tells us about half of people over age 65 have three or more chronic conditions. And they could be from the menu of heart disease, diabetes, arthritis, cancer. Um, Tell us about that. Yeah, so when we look at that, um, when you have multiple chronic conditions,
2: and again, I don't want people to feel bad. If you count your diagnoses and you have five diagnoses, it's not uncommon. As we said, about 50% of older adults have three or more. But when you Mm -hmm. have more chronic conditions, there's more things that can interact, all right? So you have there can be an increased risk of disability, of, of having to be institutionalized or needing time spent in a nursing home, of using healthcare settings and emergency departments and hospitalizations more, sometimes decreased quality of life or even death. And so we want to address all of those multi-complexities. And again, framing it around the 4M allows us to take someone who is a complex individual and we think about their feelings and what matters and, and their medical problems and we try to help um, package that in a way that is beneficial to everyone. And Marianne, right. I don't want to forget, we, we forgot medication.
1: Yes. Oh, medication but, uh, is so scary, especially people on, say, a blood thinner, because they have a history of AFib, or and, and you worry about, as you say, the complexity of you want to make sure they don't fall and hit their head if they're on a blood thinner and that meds don't interact with each other, especially if they're on multiple medicines. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. When we look at um, the literature, more than a third of older
2: Americans use greater than five prescription drugs. So that's a lot. And I think the longer you live, it's easy to accumulate medication, all right? I have some patients that are taking three meds for their bowels. That's three right there. We throw in maybe an aspirin, Mm -hmm. a couple heart pills, a blood pressure medicine, um, you know, perhaps vitamin D or calcium. And it's really easy to get up over over what we would say – sort of this threshold where you might have polypharmacy and as older people age they're at
1: more risk for having complications from all these Mm -hmm. medications. And And my patients of any age I always tell them Carry a list of your medications. Show it to your doctor because electronic records. What if somebody hits the wrong button? And you know, it's, that has to be checked every time you see the doctor, because as we said, interactions, additions, subtractions. And if you see multi, uh, multiple specialists, the right hand might not know what the left hand's doing. So a geriatrician or a good steadfast primary care doc, as you say, has to steer the ship and look at the whole chessboard. And and we said, too, the immune system starts to fade with age, so that increases our risk for infection and cancers. So with COVID, understandably, just the idea that our lung tissue, uh, there's a little bit less functioning and it's a little harder to get a, rigor- a vigorous cough, so it's easier for older people to get pneumonia or um, reflux, we have altered motility in the esophagus, more likely to reflux and maybe cause sleep apnea and and all those things that you were gonna talk about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, All of those are really, really important things. And I think when you listed all those, um, when you list all the diseases, it's easy when you see multiple specialists, often they're treating their one disease or they're, you know, you're a gastroenterologist, so you're gonna focus on the bowel, the stomach, the pancreas, and there may be medications that come with that, but it may, you know, we may not be considering all the other medications that perhaps could interact. So I think it's it's really important. Um, the other thing I was going to say, you know, we were mentioning bringing all the medicines in. That is so critical. We call it the brown bag approach. So you take all your medicines and you throw it in a brown paper bag and you bring it into the doctor's office. And this includes what you might be taking over the counter, because often some of the yes. over the counter medicines can cause risk to an older person, and you're not even thinking of that as a medication. So as a geriatrician, we want to see all of them, and we really look at each medication. You know, there may be meds that you've been taking since you were 50, and now you're 75. Well, guess what? Your kidneys and your liver are 75 years older or 25 years older, and so there's changes that occur with aging and metabolism, and you may not need the same dose. You may not need that same medication. So we do something we call deprescribing. So rather than prescribing, we thoughtfully go through a list and we decide and we help the primary care doctor decide if we're consulting, which medicines you really Mm -hmm. need and which we could taper and stop. So I do want to say, I don't want you to deprescribe on your own. I would, you know, you need to do this in conjunction with a health provider,
1: but it's okay to ask.
3: It's
2: absolutely fine
1: to ask, do I need all these medicines? That's a very important point. And if you do have uh, an older person living in your home, if they might not mount, we said the immune system starts to fade. If they get pneumonia or a bladder infection or COVID, they might not get a classic fever like you or I. They might just get a change in mentation. They might get a little disoriented or agitated. And we have to know for the atypical signs and symptoms of um, conditions um, exactly. the or other,
2: they, may fall. Yeah. they may have a decline in their function and they may yes. fall so they go to stop the eating ER. exactly mm-hmm. so there's many things and and the other thing we always tell someone is if you have a vague symptom and you started a new medicine
1: think about a side effect from that medicine that's really important so important let's take a little break and we'll be back in just a moment
0: Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on Radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to Radio.com and in the search bar, type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. And
1: now I'm happy to introduce our next guest. We're very grateful to call Independence Blue Cross our exclusive partner. And today we're happy to hear from Dr. Heidi Seropoulos the Medical Director of Government Markets for Independence Blue Cross since 2016. She completed medical school and residency at the University of Minnesota and is board certified in both internal medicine and geriatrics. She's held leadership positions in population health management at Cigna Healthcare and long-term care for Erickson Health Medical Group and was the Chief of Primary Care Network at Mercy Hospital, Philadelphia. Welcome, Dr. Heidi. Great, it's great to be here. Heidi, no one can escape the effects of this pandemic loss of loved ones, loss of jobs, businesses, homes. But one positive is the collaboration of so many great leaders and organizations in our city. And Independence is a major partner in the efforts to help us heal, especially under the direction of your Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Rich Snyder, and you. What member trends has Independence observed during the pandemic? Well, thank you for Marianne for that that introduction. I, I would say,
3: number one, I would validate your comments about how the community came together. It was it was really unprecedented. i had never seen anything like it. This was uh, community members, people, everybody, like you and me, saying, "Okay, we need to stay home. We need to wear a mask, and we shouldn't be going out." Um, two doctors and hospitals and the public health department, our elected officials and leadership at IBC meeting literally uh, in the first couple of weeks, several times a week, getting each other's cell phones. There was no element of competition. This was um, okay, how do we help? How do we get a testing site set up here? How do we get a hospital? Temple University put up a field hospital in like less than two weeks. It was amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would say the trends that we see, that we saw from the very beginning, starting in March, all the way until now, I would say we've had sort of two phases. The first is that really initially, everyone stayed home. I mean, we had Mm -hmm. absolutely tremendous buy-in from members. um, But as a result of that, the trend was that people really didn't get a lot of health care. You know, people weren't going to the emergency room. They weren't going to the hospital. Um, So you had people staying home. And not a lot of health care. I would say then the second phase was once the health plan figured out how to very rapidly help doctors and hospitals be able to continue to still care for people, but not necessarily in their offices. In other words, how can they help them with tele- through telemedicine? Um, we saw another sort of change change. In, a, in that phase where now members were starting to actually receive calls from their doctors, talking to them on the phone or even doing Skype and FaceTime and seeing them face to face. So those, that, that trend was quite significant. We've had about 16,000 doctors that have billed for telemedicine. We've had more than a million telemedicine visits and about a little bit less than half of all of our members
1: who have had a telemedicine visit have had more than one. So it's been been fantastic in that sense. Well, sure. And I know as a provider, I'm so much more comfortable than just a phone call. I mean, telehealth isn't perfect. It's always better to have the nuances of face-to-face. But if I do a procedure uh, and I can call the person and save them a trip in traffic and parking, especially elderly people that have trouble walking, telehealth is magical. And as you, I'm sure you would attest, it's going to be part of the mainstay and will be with us. And, and it's a good thing. Um, thank goodness we had so much uh, technology when this uh, crisis began. Yes.
3: Oh, I, I agree. I think it's been a challenge. You know, I, I think, and not just for people, I think it was a challenge for doctors figuring out, well, oh, how yeah. do I do this? But yes. um, I think that's what, where the role of the insurance company really came in during the pandemic. You know, uh, the healthcare industry functions very well to take care of members, but they can only do that with a relationship with the insurance company that is paying the claims and getting things set up so people get the right care at the right time. Um, So there were many things that the role of the insurance company did, I think, that were different during the pandemic. Um,
1: Yes. You know, I take away, yeah, I I take away two impressions of uh, independence, that you folks were leaders in um, having some of your staff start to work from home long before there was a need of the pandemic. And I always think of IBX as being just an, uh, one of the pillars of the city that jumps in, you know, with the broad street run, with the with the bicycles, with all the programs that you offer for people. Uh, just outreach after outreach for, especially for uh, your members that have special needs. Right. I, I don't. We don't perceive of ourselves as a company that
3: is. <clears throat> is solely a business in the business of just paying claims for health care. that's right. just not how it works mm. um, No, it's not at all more expansive than that. our you know our top priority has been and continues to be ensuring that members receive the, the care that they need and that became even more acutely um, emergent during the the during the pandemic. And in addition, we're a big, Part of the community in terms of business, we we have lots of employees in the business, and so we feel like we've been here for eighty years. We feel like we are a part of the business community, so there are many ways for us to give back. In addition to what yes. we, what our normal day to day is,
1: we talk about social determinants of health, not just going to see the doctor, but how will I get there? Uh, do I live in an area of food insecurity? And people don't always think about that, but you're sort of helping people think of it for them. Tell us about the calls of kindness. Yeah, we're talking about geriatrics today, and you really reach out to your senior members.
3: Well, the senior members were the people that were most at risk. And so, um, you know, here we are sitting at home, doing our jobs, trying to make sure doctors can take care of patients and do telemedicine visits and members don't have to pay co-pays for all kinds of things and trying to to get people to remain healthy. (laughs) Well, the problem was, you know, we didn't even know if people could get food. We didn't know whether people were getting their prescriptions. So we started this whole campaign where we called them Calls of Kindness, where all the volunteers in government markets were given a list of patients every week, and we would just call them. And your call might last five minutes, and it might last 30 minutes. It was basically, we're just calling. We just want to make sure everything is okay. Do you know how to get to the grocery store? If you don't, did you know what grocery store close to you has delivers? And we can tell you who they are. You know, do you know what pharmacy delivers? Here's a list. Um, has your doctor called you yet? Those kinds of things. It's, it, it was amazingly gratifying. Uh, the other initiative we did was something called United by Blue, which was this amazing collaboration with oh, a company. Oh, I love that. Company.
1: Oh, yes, I love that. Mm-hmm. The company is
3: really an, a sustainable living company that sells sustainable clothing and donates a portion of the proceeds to provide um, trash out of the ocean. This is this amazing company. And they pivoted during the pandemic to supplying food boxes to more than 7,000 of our eligible high-risk members, Uh, a box of food with a mask and um,
1: cleaning supplies every week for four weeks. It it was just, uh, that was one of the things I was the most proud of. Of course. And as you say, especially with the elderly people, um remind him that you, you win their trust or you say, and while we're at it, don't forget when you can preventive care is so important. We need to keep up with your blood pressure checkups and your diabetes and all those things that you're looking at the whole person, not just their blood yeah. pressure, as you say, not just a claim, but we're going to yeah. try to think of things you might not because we care about your health and wellness. And we're thinking ahead. Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, when you, we were talking about the the trends,
3: uh, you know, stage one was no one was getting care. They were staying home appropriately. Stage two, they started doing telemedicine. You know, I want to urge our listeners, everybody, that really we're in, we're really on what I would like to call stage three, where people need to really pay close attention to what their doctors are recommending for routine care, you know, this is not the year to say, well, I don't need a flu shot because I'm never leaving my house. No, no, no. This is the year. This is probably the most important year of your life to get a flu shot. And if you've never gotten yes. one, this is the year to get it. This is the year to, you know, you need to talk about, oh, do I need my blood tests yet? Doctors' offices have really, they're really
1: aware of how to keep things safe. Yes, we have. I can say from our own. Yeah. From our own office, we have really stepped up and we know how to socially distance our patients coming and going and uh, procedures and all the things we're bringing people back. Our offices are full, but keeping in mind all the safety features of timing and uh, keeping our patients and Mm -hmm. our and our providers safe. Yep. Well, you know, Dr. Heidi, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to
3: say that we know the pandemic paused our lives, but when it comes to personal health, we don't actually have a pause button, so we need to continue taking care of ourselves.
1: Absolutely. We have to take those things off the back burner and bring them to the forefront. Dr. Heidi, I hope you can join us again. You have so many wonderful ideas, and you've been working nonstop around the clock since this all started, so we thank you and thank Independence Blue Cross for being such an important pillar in the city of brotherly love. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Heidi. Take care. Thank you for the opportunity. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. Dr. Marianne will return, but first, a medical message from one of our partners. And we're back for our final segment with Dr. Annie. Medina Walpole from the American Geriatric Society. Annie, let's give our listeners a few takeaway messages. Immunizations are so important.
2: Yeah, so I would say, you know, we've touched on the COVID pandemic, and never was there a more important time to get a flu vaccine. Influenza A and B can present with symptoms very similar to COVID. We don't have a COVID vaccine yet, but we have the flu vaccine. So, I I hundred percent recommend everybody get a flu vaccine. The other vaccines we think about are the pneumovax, the pneumonia vaccine, the shingles vaccine, and I know Marianne, you had said before the tetanus and pertussis, diphtheria and, and pertussis, and I think all of those are important. These are ways that you can be proactive
1: in your in your health care and prevent sure. future illness. And we say the t with tetanus and pertussis, because as we are fortunate enough to be blessed with grandchildren, we don't want to get pertussis or tetanus. uh, Well, tetanus, not from them, but from any kind of cuts or injuries. And how about alcohol, Annie? That's that's a drug in itself, really, uh, that can interfere with other medications. Tell us a little bit about your thinking there.
2: Yeah. So alcohol, I mean, I think we're all reasonable people. Um, I know many people uh, do partake in alcohol, and if I had to look at everybody's medication list, there's a lot of medicines that would be, quote-unquote, contraindicated. So I think you have to be smart about it. As you age, you may metabolize alcohol a little bit differently, and so you may feel the effects more, and certainly if you perhaps... Um, didn't take enough fluid in that day or perhaps with a certain medication. So I think you do have to be careful. We know sometimes that is what matters to people to be able to have a cocktail. But we also want to think about the other things that matter, and we want to make sure that you're safe. So my recommendation is you have this conversation with your primary care provider.
1: And we didn't really talk about driving either. That's something that you would talk about with your family. And that's a hard one for people to give up when the time comes. But I tell patients of all ages, especially if somebody has multiple medical problems, bring somebody with you to your doctor visits. And really, no matter what your age, if you're hearing information that's frightening, you don't hear every detail when it's about yourself. Do you agree? Even if you're a physician.
2: Uh, that is that is so very true. You, sometimes you really do need an advocate. And you need somebody who can help you decipher and get through this and ask questions or even while you're listening to take notes, you know, somebody else who can um,
1: can help you along. So I think that's very important to bring an advocate. So so what's the, the great website you want to tell us about, Annie, that would really help our listeners?
2: Yeah, so I
1: think um, through the American Geriatric Society, we have a website called
2: Health and Aging. It's healthinaging.org, and this links Mm -hmm. older adults and caregivers to really expert-authored reliable information to support your health, independence, and well-being. And last year, we had a million older adults access our website. And what it has is, so if you type in fall. There will be a patient information sheet giving you up-to-date information on falls, how to prevent falls, what to think about. You can put in, you know, all the topics that we've put on that we've touched on today, you can ask about. And the other nice thing on our website is if you decide that you do need to see a geriatrician, that you're amongst those individuals and some of those criteria that we talked about, there is a website where we connect you, with a health professional, we can give you the name of a geriatrician or a geriatric health care provider in your area. So I think it's important. I want to encourage everyone to really be your own champion. Think about those four M's of the age-friendly health system, medications, mobility, mentation, and most importantly, what matters to
1: you. And take that to your doctor or your nurse. And physician. I think it's... Yeah, and I think it's great too, Annie, sorry that you mentioned the caregivers. Caregivers can, can visit the website healthinaging.org. If you forget the name of that, just remember the American Geriatric Society will take you to healthinaging.org. Dr. Annie medina Walpole, you are a star. Thank you so much for sharing your time and all this great information. Um, we really appreciate you being here today.
2: It has been an
1: absolute pleasure, and I wish everyone uh, good health. Good health and aging. Thanks. Thanks, Annie. Bye Take bye. care. Okay. Bye, 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 bye now. Now your
0: real champions. I know you've got the heart of the champion.
1: And now for this week's your real champion, Dr. Jonathan Oline. I call this segment the Man in the Arena. Dr. Jonathan Oline, a respected and experienced cardiologist from Bucks County, the kind that runs to the emergency room at all hours to give that magic medicine to break the clot or stent the blocked artery to stop that heart attack in its tracks. On a much-needed vacation to Yellowstone in 2004, he ventured to Cody, Wyoming to visit museums about the Old West. At the hotel, he began chatting with a few members of the U.S. Army Special Forces attending a conference. John learned about the physician shortage overseas in the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. He was so moved, he joined the Army Reserve. Serving his country was something he was always ready to do if called. Six weeks of basic training, then his mission, a combat support hospital in Mosul, Iraq. Following the Hippocratic Oath, he gave his best to U.S. soldiers, civilians, and soldiers from the other side. Enemy fighters wore suicide vests with ball bearings, even plate glass that would shatter and cause horrific wounds in our soldiers. A volunteer surgeon from University of Penn died in an explosion on his base, the dining hall, the gym, destroyed by bombs. So the risk was real, but his bigger fear was letting a patient down because he didn't do the right thing. He wasn't a surgeon or an ER doc, and when faced with patients with severe head trauma and massive bleeding, he prayed the words, let me focus. The Esprit de Corps helped him work with colleagues to get the job done, and they weren't afraid to look back and see where they could have done better. His 50th birthday came in the middle of those six months, and he came home a changed man. Then another tour in Kuwait just a few years ago. In 2020, he volunteers on a new war front, the fight against COVID. For a month, he worked in intensive care units at the JFK Medical Center in Hackensack, New Jersey, a peak time with many patients on ventilators with little chance to survive. He bonded with fellow doctors and nurses with the same spirit he felt in Iraq. He remembers the faces of critically ill patients on both fronts, wanted to connect, but he knew he had to stay emotionally detached to do his best. And did I mention that John gets another badge for courage? Since 2016, he's been a volunteer firefighter for the Langhorne Middletown Fire Company. He enters buildings that are dark, smoky, 500 degrees, hoping to find a survivor, not knowing if the building will collapse. John is in his element when he's the leader who focuses on the emergency at hand and keeps everyone around him calm, especially when the patient is trying to slip away. In 1910, President Teddy Roosevelt gave a memorable speech which inspires still today. One might call it the original TED talk. He chided cynics who belittled men who tried to make the world a better place. To paraphrase, it's not the critic who counts or the man who points out where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, who spends himself on a worthy cause and may fall short, but his place shall never be with those who neither know victory or defeat. John says, God has been good to me. I've practiced medicine, have two healthy sons, and a very supportive wife. I couldn't have done it without my Adriana. John believes the basis of our integrity is how we treat people. You need to do the right thing without hesitating. Congratulations, Dr. Jonathan Oline. Tune in next week to hear about genetics testing and therapy. You can revisit today's show and all of our shows on YourRadioDoctor.com. And if you'd like to partner with us in the show, send an email to info at YourRadioDoctor.com or call Jacob Media, 267-261-3428. Now sit back and enjoy the calming voice of Sid Mark as he plays the sounds of Sinatra. And remember, your health is your wealth.
0: Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.